There are three spheres of worship that we've been looking at, private worship, family worship, public worship. We are in the family worship section. This is our third talk in that, and we're looking at Deuteronomy 6. So let's look there, beginning in verse 4, Deuteronomy 6, 4. And before we read this short portion of God's word, let's pray, and then we'll jump into this final section on family worship. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to fix our attention upward to where Christ is sitting at your right hand. We thank you that we belong to you and that the whole family in heaven and earth is named with the name of Christ and that he is our elder brother and that you are our father and that you have adopted us and you have brought us into your family and you have placed us in families here and you have given us the privilege and the responsibility of worshiping you together as a family. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would please help us to focus our attention now on Scripture, that you would guide us with helpful principles. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us grace to put them in place in our homes and in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. And there we read these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is a very familiar portion of scripture. Rob, can you unmute me? I'm sorry. I. I think it's muted. We have like a thousand distractions today. All right. This is a very, uh, very well-known portion of scripture in which God is commanding his people to have his word prevalent in at all times before themselves and before their children. It is, in many respects, the backbone of the rest of what we see in the Old Testament, especially as we come into places like Psalm 107 where we read about teaching a generation to come about the Lord and about his works, specifically about redemption. And we've, we've talked already as we've come into family worship first about the heart motivation, that it should be worship, that it's a father's primary responsibility, and that there are dangers. And I wanted to emphasize that, and I emphasized that in the first two classes, that there are dangers of fathers being heavy-handed, especially where this is taken seriously. And yet we talked about the duty that God requires us to bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And last week we talked about the most important thing in family worship is scripture, that scripture should be central. And I gave you a number of um, introductory thoughts about how to do that in your own families. And I warned that there is no one right way. There is no one right way. Beware of any reformed person that tries to bind your conscience with exactly what they do. It, it is, the reform world is replete with examples. It is overflowing with examples of people who take things seriously and then go around and bind everybody else to do exactly what they do. And we said last week, the reason for that is because whatever we think we're good at is where self-righteousness starts to manifest itself. And if we think we're doing something good, then we go around and we bind others with the standard that we've just thought we've achieved. Instead, we need to come into this with a great deal of humility. We said last week that 
We will fail, but we don't want to embrace failure. But when we fail, we do not want to live in guilt and condemnation. That's the other danger in churches that take things seriously is that when failure occurs, then guilt and condemnation can become the default setting. We see Paul warning uh, the Galatian church, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. And, and almost all commentators worth their salt will say that the danger is in seeing someone else failing, you may become self-righteous and judgmental in trying to help them. So I am not certainly wanting to do that. In this third installment in family worship, what I want to do is talk about some further things that really should be there in family worship and then give you some practical thoughts on, on how to incorporate them into your practice in the home. Now, I want to say this, too, before I get into that. I have known many ministers in the reform world who, who pride themselves on having people in the church into their homes so they can model family worship. I do not do that. There is one reason, and maybe it's an error on my part. The reason I don't do that is I feel that that can become very Pharisaic very quickly. doesn't mean that it always is in everybody that does it, but it can, and I know my own heart, it can too easily become, look at us. Look at the performance of our home. Look what we do right. So none of you have ever experienced family worship at our house. Um, I I suppose this is a good time to invite any of you who ever want to come over for dinner and have me model it, especially if you have young children. I am happy to do that. I don't think I'm a great model, but I am happy to do that. But don't expect me to do that for you off the cuff because I know my own heart and I just think there are dangers. There are dangers to trying to show off any religious duty that you do. So that's the reason I haven't done that, if you're wondering. There are many pastors that do it. I'm not saying that they're pharisaic for doing it. I have benefited enormously from sitting in the homes of godly men who have done family worship when I was there visiting with them. Um, But again, being sensitive to what Jesus says about not letting your righteous deeds be seen before men and the dangers involved, I'll just extend the invitation to anybody with young children. If they want to come and they would like to participate in that, we would love to have them but I'm never going to just do it for you. Now, that being said, there are some very basic, helpful things that should be in family worship. We've talked about scripture. We've talked about how you can incorporate scripture going through book by book, text by text, take short and manageable portions. Don't wear your kids out. Another thing that should be in family worship is prayer. It doesn't have to be long, but Whenever you come together to worship, remember this is not a classroom, it's worship. And so prayer should be an integral part of that, whether it's just the father who prays or whether the whole family prays, we should pray. And some of the helpful things that I find in family worship in prayer time as a family, number one should be confession of sin. I have a friend who helpfully modeled this for me, and when we would be at his house and he would be doing family worship with his kids, it would be about 10 minutes long. It wasn't very long. They would sing one hymn. He would do a scripture reading and short lesson, and then he would pray. And when he prayed, and I've incorporated this ever since, he would pray going around the room in his prayer that God would forgive his sins, his wife's sins, and then name each of his children. And so we've incorporated that in our own worship over the last three years where I pray that God would forgive Micah's sins and Eli's sins and Judah's sins 
so that especially when you have young children, they are hearing you teach them that they need their sins forgiven. But you don't want to lead with them. I usually lead with myself. I think it's always good to lead with yourself. You, whoever, mom or dad, is leading, you should lead with yourself. Lord, forgive, I'll say, forgive daddy for his sins. They're great and many. Um, One of the, the most precious gifts that you can give your children is to show them that you're a man or a woman who knows how to repent of your sins. It's actually one of the most faith-building things, contrary to what some um, dads that take this seriously think. There are some who think that, that, that vulnerability of that kind is dangerous. It is dangerous not to do that. You will seriously hurt your children if they never see you repent of your own sins. If you do not ask your children to forgive you, if you do not confess sins, even when I discipline my kids, and I have to discipline them, and then I have to pray with them after I've disciplined them, I usually pray... That, that the Lord would forgive me of my sins at the same time as I'm praying with them that he would forgive their sins. I think that that's just a good, that shows that you get grace and that you need the same Savior they need. To do otherwise is to say, I'm above that. Sadly, there are a lot in the Reformed world who don't embrace this, and it's sad. I think it would be a tenant of the Puritans. It's a tenant of King David. It's a tenant of every godly person in the Bible to repent before other people. And so one thing you can do in your prayer time as a family is to ask the Lord generally to forgive you for sin. Another thing you can do that I think you should do is pray for spiritual graces. It's always good to pray that God would teach you to love him more, that he would conform your will to his will, that he would give you the fruit of the Spirit. I often pray through the list of the fruit of the Spirit and pray that fruit by name, specifically love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. It's good because we need that. Our children need that. Um, I pray often that God would give us a, a greater measure of the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks about we get the Spirit by measure. We don't have him in his fullness. Jesus had him in his fullness. We get him by measure. So one good prayer to pray with your family is that God would give you the spirit and your family the spirit by, in a greater measure. Another thing to pray, especially if you have young children um, or children who you're not sure are walking, walking with the Lord who are grown or older, is that God would grant a new heart. Um, We taught our children that very early in family worship so that every prayer Eli ended up praying was, Lord, give us a new heart and give us, and and I was like, well, Eli, we may have a new heart, and so so we could pray that he gives us a clean heart. So then every prayer was, give us a clean heart, and that's a good prayer. Give us a clean heart, because we need clean hearts. We need hearts that are cleansed with the blood of Jesus. Um, And so... I have a very standard practice, prayer for the forgiveness of sins, prayer for spiritual graces, and then I might pray for the weeks, Ron and Doris, for missionaries, for someone in our congregation that's sick. Again, I keep it pretty short, especially for me with three boys, seven and under. I keep it pretty short. It's not, it's not a long, drawn-out, sermonic prayer. Um, I feel like even my prayers are probably too long if they're two or three minutes long. For our sons, keep it short. Pray that God keeps you from sin. Uh, again, you could take the Lord's Prayer, which we've gone over. It's a good format. Use that format for how you pray with your children. I don't think you need to pray the Lord's Prayer as a mantra per se. 
there are times that that's good to pray that. But to use that as a format for things to pray for in your prayer it gives you everything. God's kingdom gets advanced. Your sin's forgiven. He keeps you from sin. You forgive other people's sins. You depend on him for daily bread. All of those things. So I don't want to belabor this, but prayer should be a part of family worship in addition to scripture reading and teaching. A third element that should be a part of it is singing. Now, I know that this is an element that most of you are probably have a lot of fear and trepidation about, especially if you're not musicians. I have a horrible voice, but I've played music my whole life, so I have a bit of an advantage that I can pick up a guitar and I can lead our family in singing. Anna has the good voice. I have the horrible voice. But to incorporate singing as a family is important. Um, my best friend used to joke with me, we would be bellowing out some hymn as new Christians, and he'd say, he'd laugh and he'd say, we're making a joyful noise to the Lord. You make a joyful noise to the Lord. God doesn't care if your voice sounds perfect. God wants your heart. He wants you to sing with grace in your heart. Now, if you have young children, you might want to start with easier songs for them. There's this sort of a there's a building in family worship that happens. I've experienced this over the past five years. There's a, you, you build up a, a, a repertoire, you build up sort of a portfolio of songs as you sing with your kids. Our boys maybe know 25 or 30, to some degree, children's songs and hymns, newer hymnody. From, from the Trinity hymnal. So when we started, we started Easy, Jesus Loves Me, which Judah asks for every time we do devotions, every time, and I do it because Judah loves it. Jesus Loves Me is great. This Little Light of Mine, not so great, but we do it. The B-I-B-L-E, we did that with the boys a lot, especially when they were very little, less now. This morning we did This Is the Day That the Lord Has Made. Um, on the Lord's Day, that's a great one to do with the kids because it's about resurrection. It's not about every day. It's about, in context, in Psalm 118, it says the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, which is about Christ, his death and resurrection. And then it says this is the day the Lord has made. So it's not about every day. It's about the day of redemption, the Sabbath day. It's a good one to sing. Um, we have taught the boys numerous hymns now. They know various parts of um, Jesus, the very thought of thee, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds, fairest Lord Jesus, um, what is the John Calvin song I love, I greet thee whom I sure redeemer art, um, and 10 or 15 others in Christ alone, some of the newer ones, they know I will glory in my redeemer quite well, several, uh, two of the three verses. And it's not easy. That doesn't happen overnight. Um, it takes loads of repetition. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about this morning is in order to really benefit as a family and family worship, it takes repetition. It's like working out. Um, you don't just jump in and start working out and lifting a lot of weight well. You build up and build up and build up and build up. Well, I'm going to talk about this with scripture memory in a minute. But with singing, that's what happens. And what I usually do with our, our kids, for those of you with very young children, um, I do the same thing with singing as I do with Bible memory. So if I'm going to introduce a new song to them out of the Trinity hymnal, I'll go through 
the first verse with them and work with them on trying to memorize it. So, for instance, when I do, I greet thee who my sure redeemer art. I contemplated getting the guitar, but I'm going to spare you. Um, I I would go through each part and I'd say, okay, guys, listen, I greet thee who... And they'd say, I greet thee who, or they wouldn't say it at all because they're looking outside. And then once I get their attention, I'd say, I greet thee who, I greet thee who. And then we do that like 15 times. And you may say, whoa, 15 times. That's why they know the hymns they know. And then I go through the next part, my sure redeemer, who my sure redeemer art. And then we sing it. So we do small portions over and over and over. Then the next part over and over and over. And then we sing it. I greet thee who my sure redeemer art. And then the boys sing it. And then we do that like ten times. I'm sure my wife is worn out. <laughs> and then we do the next verse. And then maybe we table it that day. And the next day or the day after we come back to it. And what I've noticed is within about a week of doing that, they know it. And they know it for the next year. And they may forget the words and have to be refreshed. But they know it. It becomes a part of them. I remember as a boy, my dad, we would go to my grandparents' house, and my dad would always lead us in family worship on the piano. Both my grandfather and my dad were very good um, piano players. And, um, and I remember as a boy just learning these hymns, Nothing But the Blood. Our sons picked that one up easy. That's very easy. Um, uh, there is a fountain filled with blood. I remember, I don't ever remember working at learning them. My dad did all the work, and my sister and I just absorbed them. So, again, think about that as a parent. We're doing the hard work. I promise you they're not going to grow up and be like, man, that was hard work learning all those hymns. They don't even know they're working at it. And then they learn it, and then it becomes part of them. Um, I'll tell you one of the benefits of this. When I was in my years of rebellion... There were numerous occasions where hymns that I had learned as a boy came to my mind and would be playing in my mind. That's one of the benefits of having Christian parents, that that was God working on me because of my parents' faithfulness when I was young. Uh, You never know. There were times when I was in deep rebellion and whole verses to hymns would come racing through my mind. That's truth. Remember, hymns, especially hymns, they are many sermons for the soul to sing. There are many sermons for the soul to sing. They are probably better than any sermons most men today preach in richness, in care, in thoughtfulness, in structure. Um, One other thing you can do in family worship with singing is you can teach your children the theology of the hymns. It doesn't take a lot of work. Um, if you spend some time looking through the Trinity hymnal, and that's one thing you want to have. If you don't have a Trinity hymnal, please don't steal one of ours. You can buy one. They're about $25. Can you borrow one from the church? I guess so, but that can very easily become stealing. Um, if you would like to, everybody that laughs has stolen one. No, I'm just kidding. If, if you would like to have one of the Songs of the Savior books we put together, because these are very helpful, Though they don't have the notes, they have the words so easy to read. I'm happy to have one made, and we can give sell one to you at a very good price, whatever cost of materials are. So. Can I just add, I think it's the website called cyberhymnal.org, mm-hmm. where uh, you can pull it up on your computer. All the words for the hymn will be there. 
Yeah, a terrible MIDI track that yeah. your kids will hate forever. But it does give you the tune. It does give you the tune. Mark is right. Cyber Hymnal's great. I think there's one called hymnal.net.com or hymnalnet. So that's a, that, those are both very helpful resources in getting the tunes. And then, yeah. If you type in Yes, that's right. Pandora and then Spotify, both helpful websites where you can find lots of different versions. And you as parents, as you, you fish around and find something, I'll tell you, some of the best produced him sing-along artists that you're going to find out there, Fernando Ortega, um, he has several albums and they are simple and they are beautiful and he has a great voice and he plays the piano just beautifully I think he's the best to sing traditional hymns to. You'll find 15 hymns. Sovereign Grace Music, they uh, produce the Together for the Gospel soundtracks. You can find those on Spotify for free. Together for the Gospel, Volume 1 and 2. Volume 2 is my favorite. It has Horatius Bonar's hymn. um, Oh, come on. I can't think of it. It's awful. It'll come to me. It has I Greet Thee, Whom I Sure Redeemer Art. It has a number of other very well-known Jesus Paid It All. And you're listening to 7,000 people singing this at this conference. It is beautiful. And it's much like done like the Fernando Ortega version. Um, It's just a simple piano playing. those are some of the resources I like. Newer stuff, Indelible Grace, RUF, and the Gettys. Uh, Keith and Kristen Gettys. You can find Getty. You can find all of that online. Stuart Townsend. I believe it's Townsend. Um, or Townen. Is it Townen or Townsend? Townsend. Um, so Before the Throne of God Above, Wonderful, Merciful Savior, and Christ Alone. They all come from them. RUF, Indelible Grace, which we sing a lot of. You can go online and find a lot of those albums to sing along to. There is a woman most of you have probably not heard of who is phenomenal. She is in the PCA in Washington. Her name is Dana Dirksen. Dana Dirksen, and I encourage every parent in here, and even if you're not a parent, I encourage you to download. She just made all of her stuff free for free downloads. She, uh, she runs a ministry called Songs for Saplings. And what she does is she takes scripture, and she's vastly better than... Anybody that you know who does this, a lot of people like Judy Rogers, think Judy Rogers, higher production, more 2014, be the best way I could put that. And what Dana Dirksen does, she's a phenomenal guitarist, she does sort of folky um, and almost bossa nova type songs, and she does scripture, and she catalogs them almost like systematic theology. And they are word-for-word scriptural songs. Incredible tool. Our kids have learned. They love especially Psalm 50, verse 1, her song on Psalm. And she gives the reference at the end. She'll say, Psalm 50, verse 1. So they're learning the verse and the reference as they sing. She also does songs for the children's catechism, something I'll get to in a minute. So you um, you have tons of resources out there. Mark's nailed it with... Uh, the hymnal sites, Cyber Hymnal, HymnalNet, 
Jackie mentioned Pandora and Spotify, phenomenal sites, and then you have all these other resources. So in our day, there is no reason why, as families, you should not be incorporating singing into your family worship. And I would encourage you to use, try not to do it a cappella. Um, God made instruments to accompany. I think it's just better. Although there are many times when we'll sing uh, the doxology or the Gloria Patri as a family, we'll start or end our time of worship together with that. That's always a great way to end in singing is to sing glory be to the Father. So if you know those in your mind, that's a really sweet thing to sing as a family, the Gloria Patri or the doxology. So those are some maybe some helpful things for you just as you embark on this. But buy a Trinity hymnal. If you'd like us to make one and sell copies um, at cost of our songbooks, we'll be happy to do that for y'all too. Um, There are some other things. So besides the word, prayer, and singing, and I think those are the three big elements that should be in, in family worship, there are some sort of secondary things that um, can and, and probably should make their way into family worship. One is scripture memory. Now, we started this very early on when the boys were very young and realized they were little sponges. We did not realize how much scripture they could learn. And by the time Micah was five, Eli was four, and Judah was two, they had Hebrews 1 memorized. They had... Um, they had Ephesians 1, most of it memorized. They had Psalm 130. I think Anna started with Psalm 130. It's one of those psalms that has a familiarity to it. It kind of flows. And the boys just, it was amazing. Now that takes work and it takes repetition. Again, you've got to be willing to do repetition. Um, and don't try to tackle the whole thing. One thing I did when they were very young was... I sought to have the boys memorize, and I still do this to some extent, one to two verses at a sitting. So if they got one verse, that was great. So we would maybe tack on to Ephesians 1, 1 through 12, which they had learned. Verse 13, I think that was the last one we did, verse 13. Um, In him you also trusted when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And see, I learned then, that's the other benefit, is your children are not only learning, you're learning the Bible better. So there's this reciprocal, everybody wins, God gets glory, your children hopefully are getting scripture put in them so that they're going to grow up and hide it in their hearts so they might not sin against God. But it takes, it takes time. And so when I would work with the kids on Bible memory, for instance, I, I would do the same thing I did with hymns. I'd say, okay, guys, let's do this. In him you also trusted. In him you also trusted. Usually not that energetic until we get into it. Sometimes I do it rhythmatically. That was something I learned as a kid was, in him you also trusted. And they love chanting. My boys love that. So much so it gets out of hand. They do it like 50 times. They get so into it. I'm like, all right, let's just settle down and stop. <laughs> it's too much. In him we also trusted. And they're like chanting, running through the house. And I'm like, wait a minute, we're not <laughs> done. They're just like taking off. But hey, I'd rather have that <laughs> than them running around singing Pingu or Chilly Willy or some other cartoon song. Um, and if you don't know Chilly Willy, you just missed your whole childhood. Um, <laughs> So, 
I find that helpful. I'm not telling you you need to do that, but that's the way we've benefited with scripture memory. I have opted for trying to teach them whole chapters because I think there's something good about them, not just learning selective verses. Now, we've tried to help the congregation here facilitate that. Um, Megan and I make cards um, every month. We laminate them. We've put them on the key rings for parents in the church. And, and just so you know the methodology that we're doing with that, um, I am picking all the what we call chair passages or key passages through a book. So the first one we went through last month and the month before was Galatians. So Galatians 2, 20 and 21, Galatians 3, 1, Galatians 4, 3 and 4. So the main passages, the really well-known substantive passages, now we're in Ephesians. I know that that may be overwhelming for some of you, and you may think, wow, we're moving fast. You can move at whatever pace you want to move at. You don't have to move at my pace, somebody who's going quicker than I go. Just be doing it. That's, that's the encouragement. Is, is, and incorporate that into family worship. Make that part of it is going through. You can reward your kids for memorizing scripture. I don't think that that's bad. I think you know, giving them incentive can be a good thing. Even though it's their duty, God rewards us for doing what was our duty to do when we're unprofitable servants and deserve nothing. Yet God blesses his people and rewards his people often for doing what's their responsibility to do merely because they do it out of love to him and he loves to crown his, his children uh, with the grace that he gives them. He loves to crown his own gifts. So I think you can, you can encourage your children, especially if you young children, you can encourage them to be memorizing so much and you'll put money away for them and then teach them how to give off of that money. There can be this huge reciprocal benefit from doing this. Um, don't make it so complicated. And I would say don't punish your children. And this is just me. Do not punish your children if they have a bad morning and they're zoning out. And because you have days like this where you don't wake up at all. I have days like that where I'm like, I never felt like I woke up today. I was in a haze. I wouldn't want somebody to punish me for having a crummy day. <laughs> don't punish your kids for having a bad day. You have bad days, they have bad days. Now, if they're just being blatantly disobedient, of course you want to discipline them. But I think be sensitive to the fact you want them to enjoy family worship. You want them to see it as a joyful thing, as a good thing, not as a laborious duty. My kids get excited now to some degree when we do it. They get, Eli runs and gets the ukulele without the strings, and Judah gets the little djembe. And Judah got, this, this morning went and got, um, he went and got a little... Puritan book that he thought was a Bible and can't even read, sits down on my lap because he's got his Bible, he's ready to go. You want your kids to get to those places. Um, again, if you have older children, if you have grown children, I would encourage you to do devotions with them when they come home. Implement these things, obviously on an age-appropriate level, but encourage those things. These are all means of God's grace. These are the ways that God's grace comes to our families. This is the way that he keeps us. In the sermon today, you're going to hear that, that well-known and, and very powerful verse, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we're reading the word, we're singing the word, we're praying the word, we're memorizing the word. The last thing I would say is use catechisms. 
Now, for some of you, cate catechisms, I, I don't even like the term catechism, and I even more than dislike the term catechism, despise the word catechesis. And every time I hear someone use it, I just want to set my hair on fire. Because all catechism is, is doctrinal Q&A. That's all it is, is a historically rich and solid doctrinal Q&A. It's a Q&A time. Contemporary churches do Q&A times. Reformed churches do catechisms. Ours, by God's grace, have been the product of some of the greatest theological minds in church history. The Reformed catechisms are some of the best tools you have at your disposal. So don't, don't, don't let the word catechism or catechesis drive you away from teaching your children the doctrinal truths in it. For very little children, you have the children's catechism. Who made you, God? What else did God make? All things. And you have that nice back and forth with catechism. You have interaction with your kids. As your children get older, and I would encourage you, I should be doing this, and I'm not doing it right now. We have done some. When your kids get to be about six or seven, start doing the shorter catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism or the Heidelberg. Those are both outstanding tools because what that does is it teaches your children not only to memorize scripture, but to get that system of doctrine that scripture teaches because it's, it's very possible for your children to know loads of scripture like the Jews did and not to understand the truth. So I'm of the opinion scripture first, then catechism. Some in the reform world will say catechism first, then scripture. I think they're wrong. I think scripture, because it's God's word, it's inspired, it's inerrant, it's what creates faith. But the Westminster Shorter Catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism are incredible tools. And the same way they memorize scripture, have a memorized catechism. You'll notice that in our bulletin, I put a different Heidelberg Catechism down at the very bottom center column of our bulletin. You could use that. When we're done with that, we'll probably go back to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And so you could just take what's provided in the bulletin and use that. Um, I know that we have a catechetical uh, memorization program here at New Covenant that we're trying to get implemented now with the scripture memory. Um, if, you are, if you have grown children and you've never read the catechisms, it's a great time to start. They're beautiful. I have fallen in love with the Westminster Confession of Faith, Larger and Shorter Catechism over the last six, seven years. I didn't even like it in seminary. I didn't like it as a new Christian. Mike Cunio, the missionary to Italy that we support, used to be like, Nick, why don't you study the catechism? And I'd be like, catechism. <laughs> I didn't realize it is the greatest systematic theology ever written at your fingertips by 119 of the greatest theologians the church has ever known, from a diversity, not just Presbyterian. There were some Congregationalists. There, were, there was, I think, one Episcopalian. But some of the greatest theologians the church has ever known coming together and giving you a summary of Protestant doctrine. That's what, don't even think Reformed. They were, they were commissioned to write a summary of Protestant doctrine. This is what Protestants historically believe and have believed.